Welcome to the Limitless Grit Podcast, where we have conversations with social entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and ordinary people who are achieving extraordinary results. And now, here is your host, Shristi Gajarel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of the Limitless Grit Podcast. I am super excited for this one because Betsy Nilan is absolutely amazing. So Betsy is the president of the Get In Touch Foundation and also the brand ambassador for Guess. Betsy has her master's in women's studies and knows that her calling in life is to empower other women by helping them to be comfortable and confident in their bodies, which she is doing every single day through her foundation. In today's episode, we talk about how one can cultivate to be more confident. We also talk about how she was able to thrive as a president right after she lost someone she truly, truly loved and cared about. And we talk about why she has her pink hair. So guys, this episode is amazing. And I also want to give a special shout out to one of my dear friends, Samantha Sakakini, for introducing me to Betsy because I would have not met her if it wasn't for Sam. So thank you. So without further ado, everyone, I would like to introduce you to someone I truly look up to, Betsy Nilan. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so happy that we were able to have this conversation. I know. So for people who don't know who you are or your organization, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, well, I'm Betsy Nyland, and um, I'm 26 years old. Um, I live in Milford, Connecticut, and I've lived in Milford almost my whole life. I um, started rowing when I was in high school. I went to the University of Virginia. Um, I was a rower there for four years. Um, I helped contribute to two NCAA championship wins, moved to England for a year. Um, I went to grad school and got my master's in women's studies, which led me to um, where I am today and running the Get in Touch Foundation. And the Get in Touch Foundation is a global breast health nonprofit and we focus on teaching girls, um, specifically in the gra- in grades five through twelve, on how to do a breast self exam, mm-hmm. but also educating everyone on the importance of that. Okay, I didn't know how important it was to do breast examination before I had a conversation with you last week. So, why is it so important for you know people, especially girls, to do self examination? So it's important because girls should know what their normal healthy breast tissue feels like, and that. Um, the mission of Get in Touch really ties into the story of how my mom started the organization. So my mom, Marion Wassel, 13 years ago, she was at work and she, um, she had one of those bras that clipped in the front. And mm-hmm. when she was fixing it, she felt something different, something that was off. So she went to the doctor and said, you know, I've been doing breast self-exams my whole life. This doesn't feel right. And the doctor said, oh, don't worry about it. Come back in a year. And she said, well, you don't know mm. my body as well as I do. And I know something's not right because I have been doing breast self-exams. Mm-hmm. And she ended up finding a new doctor, and then she um, found out she had breast cancer in both of her breasts. Wow. So with that, she really was concerned about what that meant for me and my younger sister and even my younger brother because men can get breast cancer too. Mm. I mean, we then at that moment had family history. So she sat me and my younger sister down. I remember we were downstairs watching, you know, whatever 13-year-olds watch on Nickelodeon or Mm -hmm. Disney Channel. And she called us up and she said, sit down. I'm going to teach you how to do a breast self-exam. 
So my sister looked over at me and down at her flat chest and at my flat chest and said, uh, Mom, we don't have any breasts. <laughs> and she said, yes, but one day you will and you need to know what your normal healthy breast tissue feels like. It's really, really important. So she taught us how to do a breast self-exam. Parents at the school we went to um, heard that my mom taught us how to do that. So they were asking my mom to teach them so they can teach their kids. And then my mom was teaching other kids how to do it. Um, and she went to the school nurse and said, hey, I think we should sign up for that program that's free to schools that teaches girls how to do breast self-exam. Yeah. And the school nurse is like, that's great, Marianne, but there's just nothing like it. And my mom was in disbelief and could not get over the fact that there was nothing that was free that taught girls how to do breast self-exam. So she went to my pediatrician um, to just, you know, double check. Mm-hmm. There was nothing. Went to her oncologist, nothing. So she met with all of those people and created the Daisy Wheel, which is the tool that we provide free to schools, which has eight tips on how to do a breast self-exam. So she um, started the organization. And right now, our Daisy Wheel program is in all 50 states and 34 different countries. Wow. Yeah. So there is a need and an importance for it. I mean, we even have someone right now who's volunteering with Get In Touch, Crystal, and she is amazing. And she... um, she reached out to us um, because she personally was affected um, and or, or had a tie with um, breast health. And she recognizes the importance of it because last year she found a lump on her breast and mm-hmm. she was diagnosed with breast cancer. But she found it early enough because she'd done a breast self-exam. Oh, wow. So she's telling others about how important it is. I mean, she has the experience of doing the breast self-exam and you know, right now there's no cure for cancer. Mm-hmm. So our best defense is early detection. Early detection means knowing your body at a young age. Wow. We don't want girls to be 30 years old, 50 years old, and not have any comfort with their body and, mm-hmm. you know, not know how to do breast self-exam. If you know it early enough, you're going to have experience with, you know, knowing what your body feels like at certain times of your life. So I've been doing my breast self-exams for 13 years. I've gone through puberty. I know what my breast tissue feels like when it's that time of the month, when I eat too much chocolate, when I gain 10 pounds, lose 10 pounds. Yeah, it's I'm very, very comfortable with my body. And I really encourage other girls to, you know, be just as comfortable with their body. And it's very empowering to do that, um, to be so in tune with your body. So when your mom started this, right, did she go around to find an alternative or did she decide to do it right away? She decided to do it right away. She okay. knew she wanted to develop something that was free um, that she could provide to schools that would teach girls an educational tool that would teach them how to do breast self-exam. So she had a focus group that I was part of, and that's where we created the DAISY. We um, She worked with medical professionals who helped with the eight tips, mm-hmm. um, something that would be timeless and classic and used as an educational tool. Nothing that would be, um, that would be out of style or okay. just a fad. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and even actually something really cool is that, um, this year, um, the state of Connecticut passed a law in honor of my mom mm. that requires that breast health, um, be taught in all public schools in the state of Connecticut at an age appropriate um, grade. Wow. Yep. So now, I mean, the state of Connecticut wants to recommend our program and it's because my mom created something that was so timeless that 13 years ago, we, we're not going to make any changes to this daisy wheel. Wow. Yeah. What I love about the story is, you know, she 
had breast cancer herself and she knew that there was nothing like Daisy Will, you know, in the market. And instead of complaining about it or instead of saying like, oh, why is there nothing? You know, she went out and created something. And that to me is like so entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. So do you think she always had that spirit or do you feel like it was, you know, her um, getting cancer that gave her her inner strength? Well, I think that um, she always used to say that all of the stages of her life came together Mm. and that's what helped make Get in Touch. So she was... um, she was actually a cop. Wow. Um, she was a model. She was an actress. Um, she worked for the Catholic Church. And then she was CEO and president and founder of a nonprofit. Um, but all of those experiences she had came together and really helped um, shape this organization and give her the strength to... She, she definitely was an entrepreneur. And I think that what was so cool is that she recognized that... Um, it should be free education. She mm-hmm. wasn't looking to, you know, make money off mm-hmm. of this. She wanted to change lives and save lives. And the Daisy Wheel's free because nobody should be denied life-saving information yeah. based on what they can or can't afford. And she saw that and she stuck with that. You say it took her like four years, right? It took her a few years to kind of, um, I mean, it's a grassroots <clears throat> nonprofit. So when she started it, it started on my, you know, actually the idea started at a Krispy Kreme on a napkin <laughs> with her friend Susan, which is pretty cool. So we always tie back to the Krispy Kreme donuts, but, um, it, you know, she started it at our kitchen table, um, you know, in my house and it slowly grew. And then years later, um, they were able to move into an office with Milford Living Magazine, mm-hmm. um, an office here in town. And it was small. And um, last year, we um, finally were able to move into an office, mm-hmm. this office. Um, you know, we have just to ourselves. And yeah. now we can expand our team. And it's really awesome to see the growth over the last few years. My mom did so much to make that happen. So with organizations, like, you know, I've done some research and it says, of the organizations fail first three years and, you know, especially startups. And why do you think your mom's organization is not not only able to survive, but to thrive throughout the years? And you say it's in like 34 countries Mm -hmm. and it's in all 50 states. Like what things that she did differently that was able to make, uh, you know, Get In Touch Foundation so successful? You know, that's really interesting that you bring that up because I was just recently at a conference, Mm -hmm. um, a philanthropy conference at Yale University, and we were talking about nonprofits and um, about the, you know, starting them and, you know, the steps that nonprofits take throughout the years. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was at the conference, I was um, saying that, oh, Get in Touch has been around for 13 years, so we are more established. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think... um, I think we thrive because there is a need for it. There's nothing like our organization. And I think what makes us very unique is that we have a product that's free. Mm. So we reach out to school nurses and we say, hey, we have this program that teaches girls how to do breast self-exam. We will ship it to you. All you have to do is give us your email address, your mailing address and how many daisy wheels you want and we'll just ship it right to your school for free so it's that easy we understand that school nurses are crazy they have so many things that they deal with and so many kids to take care of every single day so we want to make it as easy as possible for them and give them all the tools to you know arm and equip 
these girls with the information they need to be healthy. How are you able to afford this, like shipping throughout the world and throughout every single state? So we do that through donations. Um, they can be, I mean, a $5 donation um, will help us print a daisy wheel. Um, and then we have large donors. We have sponsorships. So we have partners. Mm-hmm. We have a this wonderful um, grocery store in Milford, and there's a chain of them, ShopRite stores. Mm-hmm. And for the month of September, what they would do mm-hmm. is when you check out, um, when you're checking out with your groceries, you can make a donation to get in touch. Okay. And they wrote us a check for $55,000. Wow. ShopRite? Yeah. ShopRite stores. That's yeah. amazing. And there are five stores that participated in it this year. And then next year, we're hoping to have something bigger and better. But it was really awesome to see the Milford community and yeah. um, the few other towns who were involved to really come together and help support us. And, I mean, after my mom passed away in April, it was about, okay, how do we keep the doors open? Mm. How do we sustain... Um, this work. And so with that help, we were able to do that and not only just keep the doors open, but thrive. Wow. Sorry for your loss. Thank you. But so your mom passed away less than a year ago and you had to take in a role as a president of this huge organization. How were you able to go through something so tragic and also take this organization in the next level? So I think that was, um, you know, it was really difficult at first. And when I first stepped up as president, people asked me, oh, is this something that you had planned with your mom? And to be honest, my mom and I never had a conversation about it. And that's something I look back at and I'm like, how did we not have a conversation about me running, get in touch? But I think with my mom being really sick last year, it was just about helping my mom at that time. So Mm -hmm. when my mom was at home, um, If she couldn't, you know, write an email or take care of something that she needed done for work, I would do it. And she'd showed me how to do, she would show me how to do it. So I was kind of shadowing her and I didn't even realize it Mm -hmm. at that time because we were working at home together. And when she passed away, the board called me and they want, they asked if I wanted to step up as president of the organization. And I didn't even think twice about it. I said, absolutely. There's nothing else I'd want to do. So I stepped up as president and it's such a great way to honor my mom's legacy and carry on this life-giving mission that I, it's my life-giving mission as well. Like yeah. I, this is what I want to do. And I see so many opportunities for this organization moving mm-hmm. forward, but it was really difficult. Um, we're still picking up. I mean, I feel like every day there's something that I'm doing that is kind of picking up the pieces, you know, mm-hmm. I'm doing air quotes right now, picking up the pieces uh, from a year ago. Uh, like the first three months of working as president was about informing people and donors and mm-hmm. partners and the credit card company that our founder passed away. And so changing the names on things. But it was hard because it's not only our founder, it, it was my mom. So yeah. that tie was pretty tough because it's like my work and personal life together. Um, yeah, there, like was no no, there was no separation. There was no separation. So it's always more difficult. But um yeah, I'd say from time to time, I'll always ha- there there will be a day where I just am, you know, really upset or don't want to get out of bed. And, you know, I hate to say have a dark day it seems so yeah. morbid. But, um, yeah, there's some really difficult days, but I know that my mom wouldn't want me to be, mm. you know. And I'm sure she's so proud of you. 
Yeah, that's, I really think she is. Yeah, I know she's looking down happy. So where, where do you see yourself like with this organization in the next five years? So in the next five years, um, so when I first step up as president, my board chair, Lucia, said, okay, so what, so what do you want to do with Get in Touch? What do you want to change? And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what do you mean change? Everything's perfect. How could I change anything? And as I've gotten more comfortable in my role, mm-hmm. I realize there are things that need to change. Just change with the time. Like it's 2017 and, mm-hmm. you know, there are things that need to change like our website. We need to be more attentive with our social media. And um, I want to – I'm in the process of hiring two part-time employees, which will really help us grow. Yeah. Um, I would love for our organization to be a household name. Mm-hmm. I want girls to think of breast self-exams as not – um, just this scary medical mm-hmm. thing, but as something that's empowering and yeah. almost cool because that's our target audience, girls grades 5 through 12. Yeah. Um, I want school nurses to see how easy it is to order a program and that, you know, why not use mm-hmm. our program? Um, I'd, yeah, I'd like to really grow. I'd like to have another big partner. We're really so lucky. We have um, Guest Watches, mm-hmm. huge partner. You guys should go buy Guest Watches. <laughs> yes, yes, huge fan of Guests. Um, they have been incredible. Mm-hmm. So they are not only a partner that um, makes a donation to us every year, but they really understand the importance of breast health. So for the last three years, they have made a watch for this organization, Get in Touch, and donated 10% of the sales of those wow. proceeds to us. Um, and this year, they kicked things up a notch, and um, I was. they asked me to... Um, be their model for their sporting pink and sparkling pink ass watch. And um, there was an ad in Elle magazine with it with a little blurb about get in touch. There was a two-page spread in Guest magazine. Wow. Yeah, which was so exciting and so awesome. And then they had me do a, an Instagram and a Snapchat takeover. And in those takeovers, I was able to talk about the daisy wheel and our program and the importance of breast health and doing breast self-exams and, you know, what our mission is. So we aren't losing the importance of our mission with this partnership. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why it's so successful. And they're just an incredible group of people, incredible uh, organ- company. And mm-hmm. we are so honored that they have partnered with us in this way. I think I'm going to go by guest, guest watch too. <laughs> so with partners, do you go and ask them to be partner with you guys or do they contact you? How does this work? So with guest watches, three years ago, they found us and they contacted us and said, hey, we have this, um, you know, we'd love to partner with you in some way. Would you mind if we, you know, made a watch and donated 10% of the proceeds to? And at that point, my mom was their contact person. And my mom was like, uh, absolutely. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> yeah. And so they they were happy because they were able to see the direct effect of their donation. Mm-hmm. I mean, their donation, they were providing so many daisy wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're, we're able to provide these daisy wheels free because of partners like Guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're $5 to print each and, you know, things might change over the n- We're trying to figure out some um, printing mm-hmm. and, you know, we just changed our fulfillment center. So there are things, lots of changes being made with the organization, but right now the daisy wheels are $5 a piece and, you know, we want to pr- continue providing them free. Um, so because of partners like Guess, we can do that. Now I think like it's like a household name. Most people know about this organization. But getting started, I'm sure your mom had a really hard time. Like 
making it free and having to find partners who are able to, you know, give donations. So that must have been like really hard. Yeah. And I often think about that and how difficult it was for my mom. I was so young when she started the organization, I was 13 years old and now I'm 26, you know, so I'm in a very different place in life. I was in a very different place even three years ago Mm -hmm. where I was still understanding how the organization worked. Mm -hmm. Um, And now today, having being working full time for the organization, I just I think about all my mom did. And it's just it's so impressive. I mean, I came in at a time where it's 13 years established. And so my mom did all of that really, really hard, crazy work. Mm -hmm. And now I'm here and I'm running it, but helping it grow. But she got through those 13 years and not only got through them and, you know, kept the doors open, but she really helped make it a a really strong, solid name with an an awesome, you know, product, really. So I feel like most of the people who will be listening to this podcast are going to be individuals who want to be entrepreneur or start their own thing. And you being someone who has seen your mom start an organization from nothing and build it to something that is so huge, what advice would you give to someone who is just about to start an organization? Um, I think you have to be very passionate about it. Um, So I don't think get in touch would be as successful as it is if there wasn't someone running it who was passionate Mm. about the cause and the mission so my mom it was her you know life's mission Mm -hmm. she found her breast cancer doing a breast self-exam and she wanted to help other girls I have this close personal tie um you know my mom started the organization I've grown up doing breast self-exams my whole life I've seen the importance of it there was a girl a young woman actually um at my mom's chemotherapy one week and I'd go to her chemo every Wednesday at Yale and one week there was um, a girl who's my age and I'd walk into chemo and you know every week it was always so much fun we'd play heads up the women were great it was just you know seven hours of you know fun mm-hmm. um, we'd always get yelled at for being too loud they were like why are you <laughs> having fun in chemo how does this how does this work but I'd come in with my backpack and my grad school homework and People would say, oh, Betsy, you know, where are you going next? Where are you going to travel next? And, oh, what are you doing this weekend? How's work? How's school? Meanwhile, there's this 24-year-old young woman who is bald and hooked up to chemotherapy with stage 4 breast cancer. And my mom was talking to her, and she was really angry um, about her situation. And my mom was telling her about Get In Touch. They were talking. She really opened up to my mom and said... You know, she heard about the daisy wheel and she was um, looking at the eight tips and said, I wish I knew how to do this earlier. And she was 24 years old earlier. She wished she knew how to do this earlier. So there are young women out there who are being diagnosed early who are saying they wish they knew how to do a breast self-exam earlier, which is why it's important to know how to do a breast self-exam in fifth grade. When you're talking about puberty, yeah. Mm -hmm. So when Sam first mentioned about you, so she showed me a picture and I'm like, you are totally rocking your pink hair, (laughs) you know? And I wanted to ask this question, is this something that you do as a statement or is there a meaning behind your pink hair? I think there's a meaning and a statement. So a year ago, um, January of 2016, um, my mom was sick and she just got out of the hospital And we were spending all day together and we were using Pinterest together and we were looking at 
pictures of girls with pink hair together because my mom had this pink ombre wig that she wore to chemo one time. Um, and so we were talking about how awesome it would be to have pink hair. <laughs> but at the time, my mom was bald or had a little bit of hair and um, she couldn't dye her hair pink. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, I really want to dye my hair pink. I think that would be <laughs> awesome. And then one day when I was getting my hair cut last January, right before I was running out the door, I said, Mom, what if I dyed my hair pink today? Just to see what she thought because I didn't want her to get mad if I, you know, dyed my hair pink and came home and she was like, Betsy, what, what, what are you doing here? And she stopped me and she was on her computer, I remember, and she had these reading glasses and she pulled them down. She stopped typing and she said, Betsy, do it. Imagine how girls in grades in 5 through 12 would act and respond to someone coming in and teaching them how to do breast off exam. They would think it was the coolest thing. Yeah. I'm sure they do think it's the coolest thing. <laughs> yeah. So I went out, dyed my hair pink, and it was a lighter pink. Um, absolutely loved it and kept redying it. So every two months I, I redyed pink and it was, um, you know, it was for my mom. My mom loved it. I'm so happy she was able to see me with the pink hair. <laughs> it brought her so much joy. And even after she passed away, I continued dyeing it pink and, yeah. as a tribute to her mm-hmm. in her honor. And now I see the effect it has when I walk into a classroom and there is a young group of girls who, I mean, even last week I was speaking to a young group of girls and they were so shy, they could barely even say their name. When we were having a conversation, they wouldn't even, they would barely, you know, be confident enough to say who they were. Mm -hmm. But with the pink hair, as an icebreaker, one of them said, I love your hair. How do you do that? And that broke the ice for everything. And so that's what started the conversation. And we were able to have a conversation about breast health. And then they thought it was the coolest thing. So I think the pink hair is um, opening up a lot of doors. I mean, it it definitely helped with guests. It, you know, our partnership with guests, you know, I have bright pink hair. And I think it's, uh, you know, the purple cow. I like to call it the pink cow because... You know, not many people have pink hair. Absolutely. But although I do notice lots of <laughs> women with pink hair now that I actually have pink hair. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I I think it, there's potential for some sort of movement, yeah. breast health movement. So That's amazing. So you're someone who is so confident with herself and who, you know, you just, like, have positive energy and you're comfortable with who you are as a person. Is this something that you were born naturally or is it something that you had to cultivate over time? I think over time, um, definitely over time. I think when I was younger, I was shy. Um, my siblings and I often talk about this because we're all three of us. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Mm -hmm. And we, when it comes to public speaking, we have no problems. Um, and we were talking about it a few weeks ago and we figured out that when we were, when we were in, um, when we were teenagers, mm-hmm. just teenagers, we'd go to church and my mom signed us up to be lectors. So we would do the readings at church and we were, you know, 13, 14, 15, yeah. and we were just forced to get up and read mm-hmm. and speak in front of people. And now it's completely natural to us wow. and we can do that. I mean, um, we've been put in situations where we have to be confident and, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's just... Um, that's just helped us over time. So there's some studies, right? And it says that most people are more scared of public speaking than dying. And especially girls, you know, they are scared to be themselves. And it's not just like middle school or high school, even in girls don't speak as often as men Mm -hmm. do. Like, what do you think men and women both can do to be more confident and comfortable with themselves? 
I think you need to put yourself in situations that make you uncomfortable. I think it's really, really healthy. There are so many things that life throws at us that make you really uncomfortable that are really challenging. Like, for for example, my mom passing away. Mm. That was a huge challenge. And I had to, you know, I wasn't comfortable with that. You know, mm. I became a homeowner overnight. I, you know, I owned a car overnight. Um, I was living with my two siblings overnight. It all happened so quickly and I had to grow up quickly. Um, but there are so many things that you can do to m- make yourself, you know, being comfortable with being uncomfortable, if that makes sense at all. But I don't think everyone takes difficulties in life the way you took it. You know, I don't think most people are see this see that as an opportunity to grow and be a better person. For most people, when something happens, they become a victim and they cry about it. And, you know, it takes a long time for them to move on. Why do you think, like, what do you think prepared you to take the situation the way you did? Um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with um, education even and my women's studies background mm. and being empowered through other strong women and females in my life. Mm. Um, my mom was an incredibly strong woman and there are lots of family friends and, you know, friends of mine who are um, – so strong and I look up to them as role models and so seeing them that's really what I work towards every day and even when it comes to challenging experiences my mom always said um you know big life-changing experiences even my mom's you know illness Mm -hmm. it makes you a bigger version of who you already are so for example yeah so when my mom was diagnosed she took something and she made it into she turned lemons into lemonade Mm -hmm. so it made a you know, a bigger version of who she already was. Mm, so true. So with women's studies, did you always decide to be a women's studies major or that was something that, you know, you just stumbled upon? It was something I stumbled upon. And I, like, I'm almost <laughs> embarrassed to say that I stumbled upon it because it wasn't in my, in the cards at all. Um, I was at the University of Virginia uh-huh. and I was a full, I was on the varsity rowing team there. We had practice, you know, twice a day. It was just a grueling schedule. And I was trying to find something that fit in my schedule that would allow me to nap mm-hmm. in the afternoons. And I saw a women's studies class and I thought, huh, let me take that. <laughs> I was an anthropology major. I loved anthropology and um, learning about different cultures around mm-hmm. the world. Women's studies, I thought, oh, great, let me take this. One of my friends was also going to take it. Um, so first day of class. Walk in and my professor, Dr. Amanda Davis, who was my thesis advisor or my, she um, helped me with my thesis in grad school. Mm -hmm. Um, she really changed my life, I would say. Wow. And the first day of class, we talked about what, you know, what, what, what is women's studies and what do we talk about? And they were, it was basically just oppressions of women, the oppressions women face every day. So it was really depressing, but it was, I was so mad and so angry at all the things I was learning about that I was, you know, unaware of or turn, turn a blind eye to. And I knew it was my calling and I only had a semester left at UVA. And I said, well, I guess I'm going to grad school. So in that moment, I said, I'm absolutely going to get my master's in women's studies. That was what that path I wanted to take. And through my time of taking a few more women's studies classes in college, mm-hmm got my master's and was really able to grow as a feminist. Yeah, I really define myself as a feminist. So most people, when they hear feminism, like, even if they believe in equal right, they just 
don't want to associate with themselves with that word. What's your definition of feminism? I think it's just equality for all. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people will say, I don't think, you know, women are better than men. And, you know, that means you hate men. That does not mean that at all. Um, I think... I think it just should be equal. I think we should have equal playing fields. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not there. And some people say, oh, things are perfect. <laughs> Everything is equal. But it's it's not. And um, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So what are the things you learned from your major? Um, so with my major, I think it just opened up my eyes to the oppressions women face. So just I, in the United States or um, globally, um, what's happening all over the world with women's rights in different different countries, um, women's bodies, learning about, you know, women barely have mm-hmm. you know, can make decisions about their own bodies mm-hmm. these days. So that's always something interesting. And, um, you know, equal pay is something that we're still fighting for. It just blows my mind. It's 2017. Um, and the negative stigmas women face um, about even just the clothes they wear, the underrepresentation in the media or treating women like objects and not mm-hmm. intellectuals. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I wish I took a woman's studies class. Yeah. it's re- And <laughs> through learning about those impressions, like the moral of the story is you could, there's ways to find empowerment through that, Absolutely. through women's voices. And um, I wrote my master's thesis on the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genetic mutation, which is the breast cancer gene, okay. and how patriarchal society reacted to women testing positive. So looking at how society viewed women who would have prophylactic mastectomies, bilateral mastectomies, and have their ovaries removed um, as a way to, um, you know, not get breast cancer. So if you test positive for the BRCA1 or BRCA2 genetic mutation, you have a heightened risk um, of getting breast cancer or ovarian cancer. So up to 90% breast cancer. And so if you find out that you test positive for this, a lot of women were taking matters into their own hands and Mm -hmm. having a bilateral mastectomy. But there's a lot of patriarchal society who say, well, you don't have cancer yet. So why would you remove your breasts? That's, you know, that's what makes you a woman. And so who is it for some man to tell a woman what to do? So that's what my thesis was on. But through the women I interviewed, it was awesome to see how empowered they were through their decisions that they made. Uh, yeah. And that was their decision. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're, it's their decision. And, you know, whatever they decide to do with mm-hmm. their bodies is the right is the right thing. Wow. That's powerful. Um, you're also someone who, you know, you handle this organization and you also know how to have fun. Like last few weeks ago, you went to Paris and... You know, it looks like you're someone who balances her life pretty well. How do you do that? I mean, I'm asking this (laughs) for myself because every time I go out, I'm just like, oh, I could be working on something and I kind of feel guilty. But how do you like balance your time the way you do? It's funny that you, I mean, sometimes I think that I don't do a really great job of actually having a separation of work and personal life. Um, but it's something I think that will happen over the next year. Um, mm-hmm. I think this year has been like me picking up the mm-hmm. pieces of my home life and work and they kind of merge together, but finding ways to get away. I mm-hmm. love skiing. I just started skiing. So I'm, I love doing that. So even just getting away for a day or a weekend. And I recently took a trip to Paris and that was amazing. It's always awesome to kind of, um, 
well, be out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and um, see a different perspective from a different side of the world. So I love travel, and I think that that's really important if you can do it. And um, yeah, I'm pri- I was privileged enough to go to Paris for a week. Yeah. I took <laughs> I took a week off, um, and I'm still I'm still finding ways to separate that life, but finding ways to have fun and I work from home a lot too so getting out of the house because the house is a workplace too so getting going to see my friends or my family or going to New York City for the weekend and um being active and healthy going for runs and Mm -hmm. I think that that's what helps keep me you can't really escape work because it's home (laughs) yeah exactly but you know it's that's what it is Mm -hmm. and right now right now it's working just fine yeah you traveled a lot too right yes so actually i worked in england for one year right after i graduated college and i worked at a boarding school and i taught british history um geography and sex ed and i coached rowing so with working at a boarding school you get amazing time off so I get weeks at a time. Um, I get half term breaks, which were week long, so mm-hmm. long weekends. So I'd be able to travel. Um, so I traveled a lot through Europe wow. and to Morocco and I did a lot of those trips by myself and I learned a lot about myself mm-hmm. on those trips and it definitely put me out of my comfort zone, which I think was really important. And I'm glad I took that opportunity and I love surfing. So I turned a lot of those trips into surfing trips. Wow. Which, yeah, ended up being so much fun. And um, I went to Vietnam when I was in college and I taught physics mm-hmm. and traveled a little bit through Asia. So that was also great. But traveling has definitely opened up my eyes to the world. That's amazing. What's your favorite country? Oh, my favorite country. <laughs> That's such a great question. You, you're catching me right after my time <laughs> in Paris. So, you know, I'm tempted to say France, but... I loved Portugal. Yeah, I really loved Everyone Portugal. Says that. Yeah. I think the people were amazing. The food was great. The culture is great. Um, I had a great surf trip there too. So, yeah, I really liked Portugal. I love traveling. That's like my goal just to travel too. Yes, it's, it's so great. It's, it's really eye opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Time for some rapid fire questions. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> So if you could be anyone in this world for a day, who would you be and why? Okay, so that's actually a very easy question because um, one person that I really want to be is Nicholas Kristof, who is a writer for the New York Times. I love him. Journalist. He travels all around the world writing about important social justice issues. And I just think that's the greatest thing. I love him. Because he has completely opened up my eyes mm-hmm. to different social justice issues in the world. Absolutely. And trying to make um, make them known to people in America. So so when I was a campus minister, I did a program on Half the Sky. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, his work is incredible. And I also applied for his, um, you know, he takes college students. Yes. I didn't get it, but <laughs> <laughs> he's amazing. Yeah, no, he's incredible. And whenever I find someone who knows who Nicholas Kristoff yeah. is, you're like, oh. <laughs> you have people. that great connection. Yeah, I, of course you know who Nicholas Kristoff yeah. is. We have a great connection. <laughs> yeah. um, what's your favorite movie or documentary? I would say my favorite documentary is Misrepresentation, which is a feminist documentary. Yes, I'm <laughs> such a feminist. Such a surprise. <laughs> but it's so great. And it's also just a really eye-opening documentary on how women are underrepresented in the media. Mm. Um, what is it called? Misrepresentation. Okay. And it's on Netflix, too. Cool. Yeah, it's it's a great great documentary okay i definitely have to check it out Mm -hmm. 
What books have influenced you and what are the two books you would recommend to our audience? Oh my gosh. Well, I would say the one book that has really shaped who I am this year um, is Rupi Kaur, um, oh. Milk and Honey. Oh, and such a good book. Yes, her favorite quote, I, it's, um, or her favorite poem is, what's the greatest lesson a woman should learn? That since day one, she's already had everything she needs within herself. It's the world that convinced her she did not. And I think that's so powerful. And I read her book, honestly, once every two weeks. Wow. And it's such a small book, too. It's such a small book. And she's coming out with a second book soon. But I think that her work, I can just relate to it. Like, Mm -hmm. I, there's a different meaning for every single poem. And it is so powerful. I mean, I honestly, I bought it for one of my friends. My friend passed it along to another friend who's passed it to another friend. And now all my friends have read this book. And they're all going through quarter life crisis, like a different quarter life crisis and <laughs> yeah. have just, it's kind of helped empower them and shape them in different ways. And it's just incredible. So I really, I, I yeah. thank you, Ruby, for <laughs> helping make this year that much better. And I, 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 there's so many things where she talks about loss and love and, you know, those are things I can really relate, mm. with, relate to. So, yeah. Um, what advice would you give to your 18 year old self? From things you know now. Advice to my 18-year-old self. Well, I think that staying healthy and saving money, those are just (laughs) subtle, like, important things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think continue challenging, uh, you know, continue challenging yourself. Okay. Um, Getting yourself out of your comfort zone and do something for yourself. And I I think people know that they should get themselves out of comfort zone but most people don't because it's so comfortable yeah and you know that's when Mm -hmm. most people have like midlife crisis or Mm -hmm. you know yeah and self-care is very important so that's something right now that i'm really working on is just Mm -hmm. you know self-care cool so if you could relive one moment in your life which would you choose and why one moment in my life you know this is a very tough question because there's so many oh There's so many moments, I would say, just like a family vacation Mm. from when I was little, just to kind of go back to when I was a kid. You know, when the biggest problems would be like, oh, I spilled chocolate milk last week, you know, that would be the biggest problem of the week. (laughs) I wish that was the biggest problem this week. Yeah, now problems are a little bit bigger and different. But so, yeah, just being a child again for a day. (laughs) Yeah. So what is one quote or mantra you live by? Um... I think that, you know, I, I live by many, um, my mom's mantra was choose joy every Mm. day. So I think that's something I've been telling myself every day was, um, to just choose joy. So through all this crap that we have to deal with, find, find the goodness in it and, you know, find one way to empower yourself. And, you know, this year has been very difficult. Mm -hmm. So every day I've been telling myself, find one thing that makes you happy. Um, Find one way to choose joy. And so I think that's really helped carry me through this difficult year. And so, yeah, that's my mom's mantra. And it's kind of become mine as well. Wow, It's beautiful. And I think that's something that you have to choose consciously every single Mm -hmm. day. Because you could forget about it. But if you're like, you know, remind yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, I want to end with last question. What is your definition of courage? So I think courage is putting yourself um, out of your comfort zone, um, challenging the limits and barriers you have and 
doing something that scares you because mm. you wouldn't if it didn't scare you it wouldn't be worth it mm. it wouldn't be meaningful um so do, doing things like that yeah mm-hmm. i think that i can't stress that enough Okay. So if people want to find you and your organization, where should they go on social media? Yeah. So you can follow us. Um, we're on Facebook, the Get In Touch Foundation. We're on Twitter, Get In Touch. Okay. And we're on Instagram, Get In Touch Foundation. <laughs> okay. All right, Betsy, it was so good talking to you and finally meeting you in person. Thank you so much for your time. This was incredible. Thank you so much for your time. This was awesome. I loved having this conversation with you. Hey, you guys, thank you so, so much for listening to this podcast. I really, really appreciate your time. And if you enjoyed this episode, then make sure to subscribe because every single week I will come up with awesome and epic interviews like this one. And do not forget to check out my website, LimitlessGrid.com for show notes.